I'm, I'm pumped for this new installment of Christians in Culture. How about you guys? As you probably could tell uh, just by the short video there, we're going to talk a little bit about pace today. Are you guys into it? So the title of the message is From Hectic to Holy. From Hectic to Holy. How many of you guys want to live a holy life? It's very rare that holy and hectic go together. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to continue uh, the storyline of Daniel. We've been talking about the life and the ministry of Daniel uh, for the last couple of weeks in this series. And I want to continue that today. If you don't mind, open up your Bible to Daniel chapter 5. And we're going to dive into an experience that Daniel is having with Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar. I know last week we talked about Nebuchadnezzar and the experience Daniel had with that leader. This week we're going to talk about Daniel. Daniel's experience with another leader, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar. How's that for some weird names? All right. I mentioned in the first service, I said, I think these were like the hipster names of the day. You know, people name their kids weird things, weird hipster things like Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar. That was the hipster names of the day. So uh, we're going to read in Daniel chapter five, a lot of scripture this morning. Is that okay? You guys good with a lot of scripture? I'm happy to be in a house that loves the word of God. So thank you guys. I want to say thank you. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming hungry. Before I read the scripture, I do want to uh, make sure to mention a couple of things. Number one is we have a team here today from Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry that are here. We're so stoked that they're here. These guys are so awesome. Uh, We hung out with them on Thursday. They prayed and spoke prophetically over our entire staff team, and it was so cool. Then they served practically and just did all kinds of really cool stuff around the building, helped us clean up some stuff and clean up some old closets and things. Man, you guys, like, really got your hands dirty and can't say thank you enough uh, for helping us steward this facility. Um, And uh, they're going to be praying after this service and prophesying to anybody who would like to receive a word and some ministry. How cool is that, huh? So if you want to receive some ministry, here's how you're going to do that. I'm going to give you some instructions. Number one, if you are a parent, if you're a parent, say, that's me. Okay, we got two parents in the house. Wow. You guys are obviously tired and didn't sleep that much last night, so I know how old your kids are. Um, But if you're a parent in here, you need to go get your kids first from Legacy Kids and then go downstairs and get prophetic ministry because this service is larger, so there's probably going to be a little bit of a line. And just to make sure that our ministry uh, workers are able to uh, get your kids out in ample time, please go get them first. So if you're a parent, say, that's me. (laughs) A few others. All right. Uh, And then go down and get in line, okay? Um, Also, another announcement. I actually have three announcements. Are you guys okay with it? Okay, so here's the second announcement. Second announcement is this. On Tuesday night, we're having worship night. Yes, I know. It is like my favorite night of the month. Absolutely best night of the month for me. And it always is incredible. And if you've ever been to a worship night before, you know what I'm telling you is true. It's so good. And so on Tuesday night, it's going to start at 6.30. It's over at 8 p.m. So if you want to come out, it's strictly like an hour plus of just straight going after Jesus. Just waiting on God, just getting in God's presence, pursuing his his face. And uh, then we do some ministry. We speak prophetically. We just get up, call out words of knowledge, whatever God wants to do. We're just in here for it. Um, 
I, I sometimes joke and say if we could, we'd change our mission statement from to grow the family of God to we just want to be around God doing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite as eloquent, doesn't fit as properly on a t-shirt, but nonetheless, that's us. Um, all right. So you guys ready for the Bible? Yeah. I'm not going to do the third announcement. Forget that one. That's all right. It's fine. Okay. So uh, some of you guys are like, no, do the third announcement. Don't worry about it. Daniel 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to read verses 23 through 28. So I'm going to have it on the screen. I'm going to read it here. You guys can follow along with me. Don't, you know, fade out and take a nap. It's really important, but it's, it's long. Okay. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, here we go. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. While drinking the wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Do you guys understand what's happening here, right? King Belshazzar, he's hosting a party, right? And so he's getting drunk, he's partying, he's moving at the pace of culture, and then all of a sudden, while partying, he has this bright idea. I'm going to borrow some of the instruments from the temple of God in Jerusalem. Go ahead, bring them out because we're going to party hard tonight. I mean, we are going to turn up. And so I want those gold vessels, the silver, bring them in here. We're all going to start drinking out of them and we're just going to have a fun day, right? That's what's happening. Next slide, please. And immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. Now, this is a wild encounter. Right? One moment, like they're par- he's partying with his concubines. I don't know what the modern equivalent of that is, you know? I got a really big team. You know, he's just he's drinking, so he's having fun. And uh, all of a the sudden, there is this encounter, this supernatural encounter that takes place where a hand, a human hand appears. I don't know if this is like some gigantic hand, like a foam finger, or it's like, you know, a normal size. I don't know. But a human hand appears and then begins to write on the plaster. These walls in here are actually plaster walls. They're not drywall. So if you could imagine like somebody writing an inscription in the wall where everybody in there can see it, and the king saw the hand as it wrote, and the king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him, and his limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. This is normal in culture when somebody has a supernatural encounter that they cannot explain with their rational mind. They freak out and they need somebody. They need a spirit-filled Christian in culture to explain it, right? And so the king called loudly. He tries his best. He tries his best. He's like, okay, let me get the enchanters. Let me get the fortune tellers. The Chaldeans and the astrologers, the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a gold chain around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. I mean, the king was freaked out enough to where he was preparing to give away authority to anybody who could give him the interpretation. He was prepared to give away ownership to anybody. You see, there's high places in culture that people are prepared to pass off to Christians if they would come with the word of wisdom in the moment and explain to them what's actually going down in the the spiritual realm, right? It's true. 
And so then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Some of the scholars say that this was in Aramaic, but regardless of what language it was in, there was only one person that could interpret it, and that one person was the one who had the Spirit of God living on the inside of them, right? And uh, then the king Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Next slide, please. And the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared. And I love this because it's always, it's usually a woman that brings the wisdom, you know? It's like all the guys are scared, their knees are knocking together, their colors are changing, and then there's a woman who steps in and is like, here's what you need to do, right? And so, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Notice she doesn't say like in whom is the spirit of Yahweh, like the God of all gods, right? Because she doesn't know how to explain that. She doesn't have a relationship with Yahweh. But what she is acknowledging is with the best of her ability, this guy carries a supernatural grace and a supernatural wisdom to interpret the signs of the times. That's Christians in culture, amen? And so she says, Uh, There's a man in your kingdom in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your dad, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, astrologers, because an excellent spirit. Everybody say excellent. See, if we want to get the attention of culture, we're going to have to operate in excellence. We can't just offer up shoddy work, you know, like half-baked and say, well, I'm a Christian. Like, we have to come with the excellence to grab the attention of culture, right? Right? Yeah. And it also said uh, that they brought knowledge. It's not just that they were anointed, but they knew what they were talking about. Just letting that sit there for a minute. Right? And understanding to interpret dreams explain riddles and solve problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belshazzar now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation I love the courage of the queen she's like so sure she's like let Daniel be called next slide please but you have lifted up this is Daniel by the way we're skipping ahead so here's Daniel speaking to Belshazzar but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house that have been brought in before you you and your lords your wives concubines you guys have all drank wine from them and then you started practicing idolatry by praising the gods of silver gold bronze somebody say money right bronze iron wood and stone the the building materials of look at my life and what I've built. Look at this greatness. Look at all these things that culture we know is pursuing, right? And Daniel says, no, you're gonna be judged because of that. Because, because, but the God in whose hand is in your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored God. In the midst of your idolatry and building your own thing, you've not honored God. Then from his presence, Then from his presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed and this is the writing that was inscribed. Okay, so reading this writing is very interesting. Like I said, some people say it's Aramaic. There is a Hebraic translation and it reads differently than what it sounds like. Now, I'm from Kentucky, so our pronunciation is not that great up there. But if I was reading this, I was like, okay, mean, mean, tickle parson. (laughs) Like, okay, that's weird, right? Um, (laughs) Right? So it actually, 
That, that word there is mene. You guys want to learn some Hebrew today? So let's say it with me. Say mene. So he says mene, mene. Sounds like mayonnaise. Mene, tekal. You guys say it with me. Tekal. And Parson is actually, it's spelled different in different translations. If you're reading in your Bible, it may look a little different. But the, the word there is paraz. Everybody say paraz. Paraz. And this is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, here's what Mene means. God has numbered, everybody say numbered. Numbered, numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekal, you have been, thank you. I appreciate that participation. You have been weighed, everybody say weighed. Weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paraz, your kingdom is divided. Everybody say divided. divided. And given to the Medes and the Persians. So the three things that I want you to pull from this passage, these three words here are very important because these three words are reminders that culture needs to hear and adhere to as well as the church needs to listen to. So, mene means numbered. Everybody say numbered. numbered. Tekal means weighed. Everybody say weighed. weighed. And paraz means divided. Everybody say divided. divided. So, numbered, weighed, and divided. Numbered, weighed, and divided. So, here's what God's message is to King Belshazzar. Number one is, your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. Here's number two. Your life is being weighed. And here's number three, your heart is divided. Your days are numbered, your life is being weighed, and your heart is divided. Now, how many of you guys know that culture has an agenda? (laughs) How many of you guys know culture has a pace as well? It's not the pace of grace. It pushes us to run at this pace of, of living hectic, of feeling pressured and bogged down by our schedules, not being led by the Spirit. And when we live at that pace, we have to be reminded of these three principles. Hey, your days are numbered. Your life is currently being weighed, and don't let your heart be divided. Yes. Now, we, as we've talked through the book of Daniel, we've recognized that our culture is very similar to Daniel's culture in that the U.S. is somewhat like Babylon in the same days in which Daniel was living. And uh, I don't, have you guys ever heard about the Enneagram before? A few of you guys, a few guys are way too into the Enneagram, okay? <laughs> Let me just say that off the bat. My gosh, you know. I meet people all the time at conferences, and they're like, well, I can't evangelize. I'm the Enneagram number, you know. And I'm like, okay, that's great. I don't remember Jesus walking the shoreline, shoreline of Galilee with Enneagram test in his robe. Just want to make sure you're a four before you follow me, you know. How many of you guys know God doesn't consult your personality before he gives you your calling? Right? But God just gives you a new personality. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new. Right? So there, there's a, it's good. It's good to get the tools, man. I'm all into the tools. I've taken every personality test known to man. On the Enneagram, I'm a three-wing four, you know. On the Myers-Briggs, I don't remember all my letters on that. Life languages, I'm a shaper. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, I don't, it's like a beaver, an otter, a lion, a tiger, a bear. Oh, my. I don't know. It's like there's so many tests, right? 
And uh, if you, so I'm a three, right? And, and a three is what they call an achiever. I actually pulled something up from an Instagram post uh, right there. If you want to know what it's like to be a three, this is, these are, this is what it's like to be a three. Number one is, are you sure you can do that? That causes me conflict if you ask me that. Are you sure you can do that? It just, that burns my biscuits, okay? <laughs> I'm upset about that. Um, continuously interrupt them while they're focusing on something. My, if my wife was here, she'd be like, yep, amen. Um, complain about how you are a victim to your circumstances. That, that just, that's for threes, they're like, what? What are you talking about, you know? Limit what they can achieve. These are things that cause threes a lot of conflict internally because threes are known as achievers. And if you've ever heard of this book, it's called The Road Back to You by Ian Crone and a, another lady, I can't remember her name right now, but uh, it goes through all the personality types. And one of the things that it says about a three, an achiever, is actually we live in a three culture. That the U.S. itself, if you could type the entire country, you would type it as a three because our nation is an achieving nation, that the culture is an achieving culture and everybody is chasing significance. Everybody is chasing achievement. Everybody is chasing the comp competition to say, I'm the best, I'm in charge. And, and that really leads me to a, a potential mission statement for our entire country as well as an ancient mission statement for Babylon that I've uncovered. Here it is. Uh, you guys may have heard this before from the great philosopher Ricky Bobby. If you're not first, you're last, right? You guys have all heard this before. It's so funny. Talladega Nights, man. But truly, as much as we think this is funny, this is really an indictment on our culture. Because whether we recognize that this is the pattern of our behavior or not, oftentimes we live like this and we truly believe that unless we are achieving, we are absolute failures. And sometimes it can be great to be a three in a three culture, but sometimes it can be the absolute worst because you, you, let that, you let that thing drive you and you let that pace move you rather than being moved by the pace of grace, rather than being moved by the peace of heaven. And that's what this message is about. And in order to live at a different pace, in order to live at a different way, we've got to remember these three things that Daniel told Belshazzar. Number one is your days are numbered. Number two is your life is being weighed. And number three is your world, your heart must not be divided. How often do you, you meet somebody and you say, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. And they say, busy. Isn't that pretty common, right? That's the first thing that people say, busy? I'm busy? How many of you guys know being busy doesn't make you more important? <laughs> right? Right? Busy doesn't make you important. Just because you're busy doesn't mean you're important. But we live in a culture in which we glorify busy to such an extent that if you're not busy, then you're a loser. You know? But busy doesn't make you important. Here's what makes you important. Jesus loves you right? That's where your value has to flow from. That's where our worth has to come from. The fact that God loves us and we're in a connection with Jesus Christ. But culture says, man, unless you're busy, you're not going to get any value. And, uh, and that, you know, I, I was reminded this week as I was studying this, a quote from um, amazing guy, Jack Frost. He's passed now. Some of his books have really shaped my life. But he said, if all you do is do, 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 that's all you're going to get. Isn't that good? If all you do is do, 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 that's all you're going to get, right? Um, if we're going to make a difference, we have to live different. 
If, if you're taking notes, write that down because that's something I really want you to pull from the message today. If we're gonna make a difference, we gotta live different. We truly have to live different. And living different actually means living at a different pace. Because we as Christians in culture are supposed to be led by the Spirit, not by our schedule. Anytime that you can't change your schedule because of something the Spirit is saying, the schedule has become an idol. And you're actually worshiping the time that you have or that you don't have rather than the God who set you free from sin. Amen? So we let the spirit lead our lives, not our schedule. And this is what, you know, this is what Daniel said to, to Belshazzar as a, as a prophetic word. It's pretty crazy how the prophetic word came to pass. If you want to do some homework, you can read what happens to Belshazzar the very same night he gets murdered. So that prophetic word came to pass pretty quick. If only if all of our prophetic words could come to pass that fast, you know. But that, that's what happens to Belshazzar. He actually gets killed that night. But he, he, the message that he gave the king is actually quite a relevant message for us. Like I said, that first word there, mene, right? Your days are numbered. How often do we forget the reality that our days are numbered? Yeah. You know, anytime we think that we have more, uh, more of something than we need, we tend to waste it. Anytime we think that we have more of something that we need, we tend to waste it. And, it, and that happens so often with our lives because that happens so often with our time. How many of you guys know the way you spend your time is the way you spend your life? So it would do us very well if we could be reminded of this truth quite often, often that our days are numbered. I mean, uh, God actually wrote this in the wall twice for effect. Your days are numbered. Look at Psalm 90 and 12. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's actually wise to make yourself aware of the fact that you're not gonna live forever. I know that sounds a little bit more morbid, but do you guys remember the Latin phrase, memento mori? Have you ever heard about that before? It's, it's essentially a phrase that says, remember, you're gonna die which I understand is incredibly morbid, but it, it's not a secular phrase, believe it or not. It's actually a medieval Christian phrase. And the reason why the Christians would encourage each other with memento mori, remember you're gonna die, is because when we face death, we start to take inventory of how we're going to live. And we say, man, one day my life is gonna expire. I know it's not fun to think about, but I don't know how much time I have left. I might, I might have decades left. I may have, you know, half a century left, but I might, I might go like Belshazzar tonight. Now, that's, that's a tough thing to think about, and none of us want to think about that, but, you know, I actually had a cousin pass away last year at 26 in her sleep without cause. It was, it was, it was a horrible, tragic situation, but, you know, do you think that she thought that, you know, at 26 that her life would be over. Nobody ever thinks about that. But it's important that we as Christians, that we make ourselves aware, man, our days are numbered. We have no idea how long we're gonna live. Hopefully it's a really long time. But when you talk about legacy, people talk about legacy, man. They're like, oh, well, one day. Well, one day I'm gonna do this. Well, one day I'm gonna do that. Well, one day I'm gonna make this contribution. Well, one day I'm gonna make this sacrifice. Well, one day I'm gonna give this part of my time. One day, one day. No, one day has to become today, right? Because your legacy is not about what you leave. Your legacy is about how you live. If you're thinking that one day, man, I'll leave this legacy. Well, what if you, what if you go in two weeks? 
I hope that doesn't happen, but how are you going li- to live in such a way that whenever that time does come, it makes a positive impact on humanity 100 years from now? That's the way that we have to think about it. Psalm says that it's, that it's actually wisdom to remember that our days are numbered. So here's the second part. It says, says weighted, right? Take all. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting is what Daniel said to Belshazzar. Now I want to ask you this question. Like if you were to weigh your life today and how you've spent your time, what would the scales show? What would they show? I don't know very many people that tell me they spend their time in the way that they want to. Oftentimes, when I meet with people, I find that they feel like life has them in a pinball machine, just sort of from one thing to the next, and their time is not in their control at all. The only time that they have is Saturday afternoons. The only time that they have is after work when they binge watch Netflix. And then we constantly reaffirm this lie to ourselves that we don't have enough time to pray, that we don't have enough energy to fast, that we don't have enough strength to do a devotional in the morning because we have to get up early for our job, that we don't have enough time to make a contribution, that we don't have enough energy to evangelize or to share the gospel, right? Because if the enemy has it his way, he'll make sure that we're so busy, we never actually take time to contribute. You ever heard somebody say, hey, make sure you take time to pray? Well, take time to pray is not some gentle act. It's actually an aggressive one because when you take time to pray, you have to take time to pray, right? You have to take it, right? The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force, right? And that's, what, that's the way you have to treat your prayer life. It has to have that same degree of urgency because if it doesn't, I can guarantee you this, Culture will set your priorities for you rather than you set your priorities for you. You'll be so busy that nothing will get done. So are you out of balance today? Let me ask that question directly. Are you out of balance? What would your spouse say? Are you living out of balance? Hey, how about this one? What would your kids say? Man, kids are a great barometer of how their parents are really living, aren't they? Your kids, they tell the truth 10 times out of 10. They know if you're balanced or not. They know how you're, how you're living your life. And it's important that we ask ourselves this question because if we don't, we'll live by cultural default rather than holy design. God has designed us to run at a certain pace. God has designed us to work in a certain way. And when we run at cultural default, what do we do? We run against the grain of holy design, right? Here's the third thing. Three is divided, paraz. Your kingdom is divided. Now, nobody has to raise their hand on this, but how many of you guys today feel stressed out? Yeah, I know. I I meet a lot of people for coffee, and one of the first things when they tell me, hey, I'm really, really busy, I'm like, well, how are you doing with that? Just stressed out, tapped out, I'm maxed out. I'm not resting. I'm not getting any time alone. So many people tell me very often that they feel stressed out. But when we're stressed out, we stop focusing on what matters most. We stop focusing on the important and we only focus on the urgent. And so we start doing all these things that we think we need to do to get any value and who gets left behind? God and our relationships, which are actually the things that are going to be around 100 years from now that can leave a positive impact on humanity. God and our relationships. We can't just do the urgent. We must do the important. And that's why uh, Daniel's encouraging us here. Hey, let's be mindful of our hearts. 
Are they divided? Are, what, is, what is your primary focus each day, if I could ask you that? How about this? Is it the same each day or is it always changing? Is, is it seven different focuses every single week? Are you focusing on what culture says is a priority or are you focusing on what God says is a priority? Because James 1 and 8 tells us this, their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything that they do. When your heart is divided, nobody wins. You know, Josiah gave us this word this morning, which was quite powerful. When we're generous, everybody wins. Right? Everybody wins. So if I could, you know, use his word as a point for this message, when our heart is divided, nobody wins. Because you don't do any of your work well, whether it's your job or whether it's your ministry, whether it's something at church, whether it's at your nine to five. Whenever you're divided in your heart, nothing gets done with the spirit of excellence, which is exactly one of the traits as to why Daniel was called to the table to interpret the handwriting on the wall. Nothing gets done with excellence when our hearts are divided, which is why first and foremost, before anything else, our hearts have to be purposed to seek the face of God, to have relationship with Jesus, to be connected with the Holy Spirit in intimacy. That has to be the priority of every day. Uh, there was a season in my life where I, I, I was single, so you know, take this with a grain of salt. Uh, I said, God, I'm not gonna do anything or put anything in my schedule until I connect with you. Until my heart feels connected to your heart, I'm not actually gonna do anything but wait on you spend time with you, pray, do devotionals, read the scripture, whatever I have to do to connect with you, this is how I'm gonna start my every day. And until I feel that connection, I'm not gonna do anything else. And that's one of the things I wanna say for you guys who are single in here. I know sometimes like being single is like a bummer and all. Like, man, I I wanna get married. You know, I'm praying for a spouse. Listen, while you're single or while you're young, this is the time that you have. Like for, for, it's like your schedule is like your schedule, man. Like you don't have to take a kid to the potty. You don't have to change any dirty diapers. You can wake up whenever you want for the most part. You can go to sleep whenever you want. When people without kids tell me they're tired, I'm like, man, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, man, I don't have any time to pray. I'm like, what? You got so much time, man. You know, Uh, take this season of your life and treat it as precious before the Lord because you're not gonna get it back later on. This is a time when you get to dig a well and build secret history with God. It's important. Don't let your heart be divided. No matter what season that you're in, know this. The purpose of your life, the reason why God created you, first and foremost, is to connect with you. It's to romance you with his love. And if you're skipping over that to doing other things first, I can tell you this, you're living in accordance to the pace of culture and not in accordance to the pace of grace because God will never allow your schedule to be so busy that you cannot connect with him. It's not possible because there's always connection times. There's always points. There's always availability. Holy Spirit's always ready to speak with you. And so in order to move from the hectic into the holy, I'm gonna give you guys four points. So if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. But if you're taking inventory today and you're like, man, I gotta do this, all right? I wanna move from hectic. I wanna move into holiness. I wanna move to living at a different pace. I don't want culture to dictate it. I actually want the Holy Spirit to dictate it. Here's the four points. Number one is take regular inventory. And what I mean by that is, is, is seriously have an honest look into your heart. Seriously have an honest look into your schedule. Look at, look at it practical, look at it prophetically. Like look at your life and take some serious inventory. You know the best, you know the best day to do this? Your Sabbath day your rest day. 
And you, once again, you don't have to raise your hand, but you know, so many people today, they don't take any rest days. And I find that to be very concerning because the way in which God fashioned us was actually to start in rest. You guys know that God's seventh day, his day of rest, was actually Adam's first day. So God creates man, right? And instead of telling him, okay, I've created you, now get your butt out into the garden and do some work. He says, I'm going to take a full day and I'm just going to romance your soul and I'm going to let you rest with me and connect with me, then go do your work. One of the best ways, I think, to do your scheduling, I, I do mine on Sunday night or Monday morning a lot, but I start with the rest pieces now. Instead of just, you know, listing all the big projects that I've got to get done, I start with the moments of rest that I know that I'm going to need. And here's the thing. Don't feel guilty for resting. When you feel guilty and a lot of shame that you've rested, you're living by default, not by design. Because God actually fashioned you and made you in such a way where rest is required for you in order to move at a pace of grace and to really have peace in your life. Just to rest. Just to take a break, take a minute. That sometimes, you know, that's one of the most holy things you can do. I think that one of the ways you can wage warfare against the enemy is saying, I'm taking a day off. I think one of the most holy acts of warfare that you can do on certain occasions is take a nap. I believe that, you know, because the enemy wants your attention. I, I remember one time I was, I was with my, my first pastor, Pastor Suber, who I'm really trying to bring in this year because I want you guys to meet him. He's, he's from West Africa. And man, when you talk about warfare, dude, he was just, he was wild. And, uh, and I remember I was asking him a bunch of questions about warfare and we were sharing a hotel uh, bedroom uh, together one night and I was just getting like all distraught and feeling attacked, you know? And I was like, Bishop, help me. He said, what's going on? I said, I feel like I'm fighting demons. I'm in warfare. He goes, go to sleep. <laughs> and then one of the best things you can do is you just, you just dismiss the enemy. You're not important enough for me to pay attention to. You just go ahead. You can do whatever you want to. You can say whatever you want to. But I'm not giving you any of my attention because you're just a distraction from my connection to Jesus. So you can stay there if you want to. I'm going to bed. That's one of the best things you can do. Number two is make tough decisions and eliminate. You know, I feel like the Lord's been speaking this to me. I know it's a practical sermon, you guys, but I feel like this is something the Lord's been speaking to me. Instead of just making to-do lists, make not to-do lists. Like every quarter, every six months, you should just add a couple things to your not to-do list. Because you know what is sucking time away from you and causing you to feel distressed in the midst of all of the busyness that you got going on that you really don't want to do. How terrible are we at saying no in our society, in our culture? You talk about the pace of culture, it's like never saying no, right? And listen, if it's not a clear yes, it's a clear no. If it's not a clear yes, it's a clear no. No. You know, when you start saying no, what you do is you trade popularity for respect. An inability to say no is really just the fear of man. Because you're trying to preserve your popularity. Man, I, I don't want to say no because I don't want anybody to feel any kind of way. Well, you can't control how they feel anyway. Right. You know, so what's the point? Why don't you protect your heart like Proverbs teaches us and honor God with your time and with your energy levels by saying no to things that you know for sure are nothing more than an energy sucker that God's already spoken to you about in the past to stop engaging in anyway. Yes. 
Am I, am I telling you guys the truth today with that? I know, because I'm preaching to myself. Listen, this message is for me. There's a preacher secret. We just preach the messages that we need to hear. That's the truth, man. If we don't learn how to set boundaries, then we can't focus our energy towards our greatest contributions. Here's number three is focus on what will last. And this is legacy, right? Think about this reality. Like what is gonna be important 100 years from now? And, and devote a ton of time, devote energy to that. What's gonna be important? What, you know what that is? God and people. God and people. Hey, watch, if you run the race according to, the, to culture's pace, watch the first thing that gets knocked off your schedule. Here's what I guarantee it is, God and people. The first thing will be God. So like if you're living according to the pace of culture, first thing that'll go off your schedule is your time with the Lord. And then here's the next thing, your relationship with people who are most important to you. It'll start with your spouse, then it'll go to your kids, then it'll be your, the rest of your family or whoever else you're connected with, your best friends. And then before you know it, it's like, man, I'm busy. Maybe you've even earned some money, but I'm lonely. I've got all these drinks here. I've got a thousand people watching me. I got the gold. I got the silver. I've been building all this stuff. I'm partying it up. Selfie. Writing is on the wall. You know what I'm saying? Hey, look, but the handwriting is on the wall. Your days are numbered. Hey, here's the last one. Don't force God to force you to lie down. Look, if you don't take a break, Here's, here's what's gonna happen, Psalm 23 and two. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I know sometimes we read that like very gently. Oh, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. It's so great. How many, how many of you guys like being made to do anything, right? That's controlling. Well, he's the great shepherd. So, you know, so you don't always get to vote. Well, I think we should go this way, Pop. Shepherds carry a rod for a reason. And see, if we'll come to a place of connection like David, we'll say, your rod actually comforts me. Can you receive the discipline of the Lord as comfort? Because that's when you know that you're connected, is that even when it's discipline, it feels like comfort. Because you're recognizing, man, God in his grace actually just forced me to lie down. And even though that kind of hurt, I know that I'm in a posture of rest because it's where the shepherd has taken me. And even though it was a little bit of an ouch, I know that it's good. And here's the thing, God in his grace will force you to lie down. So guys, listen, if you're in here today and you're like, I need to take a rest. Here's what rest is not. Binge watching Netflix for four hours and ordering Uber Eats. It can include some of that, but here's what rest is. Your soul connecting to God's power. That is what rest, the rest has to start with my soul connecting to God's love. That's where it starts. That's where rest starts. You can, you know, you can watch the shows after, but first and foremost, it starts with your insides. You, you know what it feels like, right? Like once you've done like a devotional to start your day or once you've connected with God or once you've had an encounter in the car on the way to work or once you've had an experience with the Lord, it's like you move at a different pace, don't you? It's a little bit slower. It's holy. It's not hectic. Some of you guys need to go home today and take a nap. 
Some of you guys are unsure if that's me or it's the Lord. It might be the Lord for you, seriously. Like my spiritual mom, Heidi, told me a story one time where she went to Bob Jones's house, which if you know who Bob Jones is, you already know it's gonna get weird. And so like he, she, goes, she goes into Bob Jones's house and here's the thing. Because she worked with the poor in Mozambique, she would not drink soda, she would not eat cheese, and she would not eat sweets because she said to herself, if the poor can't have it, then I'm gonna deprive myself from it. And so she went into Bob Jones's house and he was like, oh yeah, the Lord told me you're gonna be here. And, cause he was very prophetic. And she walked in and she smelled cookies and she was like, oh no, he's baking cookies. And I don't eat cookies cause the poor can't have cookies. And in her heart, she was so restless and frustrated. And she was so like about just doing her work and getting the job done. And then she sat down in his couch and then he came back from the kitchen and he said, here, have a cookie. And she said, no thanks. And he said, Holy Spirit says, have a cookie. <laughs> Like some of you guys need to go home and have a cookie, man. Some of you guys need to go home and like have a basket of French fries. How many of you guys know stressed spelled backwards is desserts, you know? And so like some of you guys just need to take a break, man. Like just take a chill pill and relax. I'm not advocating for emotional eating. I'm just saying that like, listen, every now and then you just like the most holy thing you can do is rest. The most holy thing you can do, like, just go get a pedicure. All the women in here said amen. Hey, I got a manicure this week, all right? I did, you see how shiny my nails are? <laughs> it's a true story, I actually did. Kate Mosh, she, she, she's a part of our, she'll probably be here at the 12 noon. She's awesome. But seriously, some of you guys just need to take a break, man. All right, will you please stand? I, look, I know, this, I know this message is really practical. And, um, but I, I really felt like the Lord was on it this week as I was preparing. Remember, the BSSM team is gonna be ready to pray and prophesy over you guys. I know it's gonna be super powerful. If you got kids, remember, grab your kids before you go down. They may have a word for your kids, you know, which is important. So here's what we're going to pray. But, but before we pray over the message, I actually want to pray over anybody here that may just want to come home today. Listen, if you want to come home and give your life to the Lord today, um, each week, you know, we always make space for people to respond. If you're far from God in here, I'm just going to ask for a moment, if everybody wouldn't mind, just to close your eyes. Leave your heads tilted toward heaven. You know, look God in the eyes. And if you're in here today and you're far from God and you just need to come home and get saved, either for the first time or you want to rededicate your life to Jesus this morning, would you just lift your hand? I just want to pray with you right now. We'll all collectively pray with you and we'll just welcome you in together and believe that today is such a new day for you to start a new life with Jesus. Awesome. I, I don't see anybody's hands raised, so we're just going to pray. Lord, I thank you right now, God, that you are highlighting something that is very important to you, which is rest, which is holiness, which is a pace of grace, not the pace of culture, not the pace of the world, but it's an inner peace. It's the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's the peace that doesn't make sense to culture. It's the peace that you've given us that we're called to possess so that when culture is having a problem, we come in with an excellent solution. 
And we're not stressed out. We're not worried. We're not concerned. We know that we're walking with the Lord that has the whole world in his hands. So Lord, right now, I just declare that you are releasing a courage to reject overworking. I declare that you are releasing a bravery right now to reject um, working yourself to the bone and feeling shame when you don't. I also want to pray over the husbands or the, the fathers in here. You know, sometimes as a dad, you're the head of the house and you feel that pressure that you have to, you know, you're the bread, maybe you're the breadwinner. Maybe you're not. Maybe your wife is. It doesn't matter. I'm just, I just want to speak to the men for a moment because I know as a man, there's a whole lot of social pressure that you've just got to work yourself until you're dead or else you're not going to be able to take care of your family. Can I remind you, you're not the breadwinner of your family. God is. Jesus is the breadwinner. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the one who provides. I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard. You should bust your butt every day for your family and bring honor to the Lord. I'm not saying don't pursue excellence. But what I am saying is if there is shame and there is guilt and there is ungodly emotions attached to your work, God wants to set you free of that because your work is so holy to the Lord that he wants to give you joy in the midst of you doing your work where you can sing again and take delight in your heart and actually enjoy your time working with your physical strength to provide for your family. That is supposed to be a delight, guys. So Lord, right now, we just break off all shame. We break off all guilt. And Lord, lastly, I just pray for a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Listen, if you can do more with 90% of your money by giving a tithe than you can do with 100% of your money, here's what I can guarantee you. You can do more with your six days by giving one to God than you can in your own strength with your entire seven. I promise you that.